Good morning and welcome to the live exchange where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I will be joined today by two special guests in the first hour, Ashley Simpo, and in the second hour, Darby will be joining us to discuss um, the color code, minorities in tech. Um, there's, as technology continues to expand at a rapid rate, we take a look at opportunities and roadblocks to minorities, to people of color, to people of underrepresented identities in the tech industry. The technology industry provides an opportunity for disenfranchised individuals to level the playing field um, and, and dive into professional expansion. So today we're going to explore the role of minorities in technology um, and look at the opportunities and barriers that are presented um, as they navigate through their careers. A really important topic as technology continues to grow and as we, particularly as Black women, um, continue to grow um, in our own professions and in the work that we're doing um, and really the ways in which we are um, creating innovation and technology just by being here. So I am really excited about today's show. I look forward to hearing your comments and your your thoughts, your experiences. So if you are on Facebook, definitely jump on Facebook Live on the Sensation Station Network, uh, and we'd love to engage you in this conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about the color code, which is really looking at um, minorities in uh, technology. And so I am joined by our first guest of the hour, um, Ashley Simpo. And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. Um, Ashley Simpo, um, based in Brooklyn, New York, is the managing editor and content leader at Vertisant. Um, Ashley also leads the company's scholarship effort aimed at serving underrepresented students entering the tech space. As a freelance writer, she also pins essays on the topic of motherhood, community, and creative ambition. This is going to be a really great conversation. Uh, welcome, Ashley Simpo. Do we have Ashley? Hi, here I am. <laughs> oh, there she is. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's so awesome Good to, to be have here. You. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love the combination of creative work and um, also working with students to get into uh, the tech space. I myself was um, a graduate of Cal Poly. Cal, Cal, let me say the whole thing. California <laughs> Polytechnic State University. <laughs> um, and so it was a school that focused on the technology, but I was a journalism major. So when I read here that you are managing editor, so you do the writing and you do the creative work, but you're also helping people get into the tech space. Um, I would love to hear more about how all of that comes together for you. Um, for So this is, you know, being someone who works in the content side of tech, um, then I feel at times I'm tech adjacent um, because I'm not a technologist or an engineer or, you know, any of that. So right. for me, it really came into play because of the conversation that I had with the founder of the company when I was talking about entering this, this role, um, which was what is diversity like at this company? Uh, what are the goals around diversity? Um, and that's something that's just important to me in general. I think that we have to ask these questions when we're entering in any new employment opportunity and um, that the more we center that conversation and normalize it, the better. And I just happen to be met with really great answers. And so 
um, it made sense uh, for me to be a part of creating this scholarship and um, and and getting it to uh, the people who need help getting into school. So yeah, it just kind of came up organically for me because it's a it's an important important topic. And this is exactly what I mean in the opening when I said that just um, by us being in these spaces, um, we innovate, we create, um, you know, new ideas, we bring new perspectives, um, whether we are hands into the tech or we are adjacent, you know, tech adjacent. Um, I, what, now, for those of us who aren't familiar, you know, there's a tech is a wide range of things. Yes. <laughs> um, what, what specifically um, does your company do and what areas of tech do they cover? So Vertisent is a cloud uh, services company. So they create solutions for businesses that are entering in the cloud. So migration services. Um, and then once they're in the cloud, they help them build in the cloud um, and they help them optimize in the cloud, which is a really big topic this year in tech. Yes. Cloud obviously had a huge boom with COVID. A lot of companies migrated to the cloud um, out of necessity. And so once you get there, you're faced with a lot of other challenges like managing your costs and things like that. So companies like Vertisent are there to make sure that businesses are successful in the cloud. Got it. Uh, oh, that's great. And you're right. It, it, that, that has been absolutely huge for this uh, for this past year, year and a half, um, you know, given COVID and companies having to suddenly um, change. But you know what? Also, um, it was sudden, in, although it's been a gradual uh, I, I I shouldn't say it's sudden, but when we look at, you know, just um, I believe yesterday or the day before was the anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Um, yeah. And so a lot of companies have pivoted in the direction of we need to prior prioritize diversity. We need to prioritize inclusion um, and make our environments safe work environments. Um, and I I'm wondering about the role that you have in that, um, in that initiative and that whole idea of making it a safe space, because one of the things is, and, and not to focus in on your company specifically, because I don't necessarily want Vertisent to be on the spotlight in a way that they don't want to be, um, but just in terms of how you see yourself and your own personal responsibility in creating um, not only just kind of offering a, an avenue to tech, but how do you create a safe space within the tech world? I think that it's, it has a lot in common with any industry. I think that making um, the workplace inviting for diverse people is has a lot to do with how you how you manage expectations and communication. And for example, um, on the anniversary of George Floyd, you can imagine that your your black employees are going to be in a somber mood. Are you sensitive to that? Um, are you still demanding people to be on camera? Are you um, checking in with folks and making sure everyone's okay. Um, I think that things like that, uh, sort of how we deal with each other on a human level should be a priority almost even more than the big initiatives of like, we have this big initiative that we're putting out and yes. so that people know about, but how are you, how are you managing the day-to-day -day with the employees that you have? So right. I, I actually think it's a really good idea to be conscious of what's going on in the world, not just how it affects Black people in our community, but like, you know, when there's certain laws that are passed that impact women, then the women in your company might be dealing with a little bit of frustration and, um, you know, staying sensitive and aware. On In your own um, journey, career journey, have you had to be um, especially conscious of things like hair 
how you present yourself, um, you know, as a black woman specifically, um, you know, because there's, there's, of course, there's the general how we present ourselves as human beings who are professionals, but then there is the how do black women present themselves in um, professional settings? Um, what has your journey been when it comes to hair, appearance, and those kinds of things that are very specific and unique to the black women's experience? I love that question because it, it, it marks my own growth, honestly, um, in so many ways. And I started out um, in a very corporate environment. One of my first corporate jobs was at a major bank. and. It was, you know, I was on the executive floor. There were a lot of big names around and it was it was very professional. And I remember that was the year that I decided to cut my hair off. So this was back in 2009, I think. Um, and so I went from having like kind of straight, socially acceptable hair to wanting to just chop it all off shorter than it is now. And mm -hmm. I mentioned it to my superior because I was gonna be coming in late the next day um, by like a few hours or something like that. And she, and she mentioned, oh, you're getting your hair done. What are you gonna have done? And I mentioned I was cutting my hair off and she sort of leaned in and whispered to me like, that's not very professional. Um, and you know, obviously this was a white woman and I was, and I was taken aback by it. Um, and I don't think that I had the proper tools to say what I probably would have said today. We weren't really having those conversations back in 2009. Yeah. And, um, but I had enough you know, wherewithal and sense of self to say, well, I hear you, but I'm going to get my hair cut. And so I came in the next day, hair was cut. And, you know, I, and I, that was my statement, you know, and that was my first, my first opportunity to show up as myself in a corporate space. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to have to sit on this one for a while. Cause we've, we've got to, cause I, what I really want is, you know, cause you, you said you didn't necessarily have it right then and there that, you know, what you have now, I want to talk about language and how we might respond and the words that we might be able to use nowadays because I had the same experience and now I know. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to kind of help those people who are just coming out the gate who might need that language. Um, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to look at trending topics. Um, speaking of Black woman with beautiful um, natural hair, um, we're going to cover her in trending topics. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the Live Exchange. Black and diversity. Gas prices. Michael Jackson. Trending topics. All right. So... So trending this morning. I'm so excited about this trending topic um, because it, it falls right into my world of journalism. Um, White House Principal De Deputy Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre made history yesterday when she stepped behind the podium in the St. James S. Brady briefing room on Wednesday afternoon, um, becoming just the second African-American woman to lead a formal White House press briefing in the first uh, and the first in 30 years. Um, the last time this happened, um, it was Judy Smith. She was the deputy press secretary for President George H.W. Um, Bush. Um, and she was also the inspiration for Olivia Pope's uh, character on Scandal. Um, and she was the first black woman to lead a briefing uh, when she took the podium in 1991. So here we are 30 years later um, uh, and, and we are finally able to see another black woman um, take to the podium uh, to do a White House briefing. And she says, according to CBS, she, she, she says, it is a real honor to be standing here today. Um, I appreciate the historic nature. I really do. But I believe that being behind this podium, being in this room, being in this building is not about one person. It's about what we do on behalf of the American people. 
Um, she says, clearly the president believes that representation matters. And I appreciate him giving me this opportunity. Um, and it's another reason why I think we're also proud that this is the most diverse administration in history. Um, so we are seeing um, history being made in so many different ways in this day and age. I think every single time I log into social media, I see another um, first, um, which, you know, in so many ways, it's sad that after all this time, of being on this land, um, we are still experiencing so many firsts. At the same time, I also like to see it as remarkable progress that I want to see continue, continue uh, to happen. Ashley, I'm curious to know, um, as a fellow writer, um, kind of your thoughts on on this this monumental event yesterday. I love that she wore yellow too. I just love seeing black women in yellow. And let's not forget, she's the first openly gay woman to yes. be on the podium ever. So she broke multiple barriers. Um, I think that representation matters to our children a lot. And as a mother, I love that my son um, has never had the thought that we had growing up, which is we'll never see a black president like he was right he was born when obama was in office and that means a lot so for us the older generation or the, the adults in the world um it's it means something slightly different for us it means progress and change and for kids it's just normalizing blackness and, and color so i i really love that for like the generation that's watching this happen yeah, I absolutely love it. And yes, and thank you for pointing out. Yes, first openly gay woman, first openly gay black woman, also Haitian. Um, I mean, she's got this amazing um, collection of, of uh, intersectionalities in her identity that are coming together. And um, it just, I, it, it, I am still reeling and gushing from, from the experience. When she first was appointed to the communications team, I could not wait to see her approach the podium for the first time. And so that was a big day for me <laughs> uh, to see that. But though I went to a tech school, I was a journalism major. So I had um, a lot of, um, I guess, I, I, I kind of have my eye, at my, my feet, I guess, in both fields. Um, and, you know, so it's really exciting to see. Um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of come back to right before the break, we were talking about um, really kind of your hair story within um, corporate. And the first time you took the step to cut your hair off and you were told that that's not professional. Um, and many of us have these stories as we um, are in different, you know, across the board with careers. Um, I certainly had that story of cutting my hair off. And not necessarily having somebody directly tell me that, but being terrified going into work the next day because I wasn't sure how I was going to be received. And, and the reception was quiet, interesting looks on people's faces. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but nothing, no necessarily any compliments, no comments. I don't know what's, what's worse. It's probably better that they right. were silent. <laughs> um, so I, you spoke to not really having you know, kind of the wherewithal to, to respond in the way that you may have today. Um, I think often we don't have the words when this happens for the first time. Um, and so for young women who are coming up and they're emerging into the field and they're just kind of at the beginning of their career journey, um, what kinds of words or um, strategies, responses um, have you learned along the way that you think would be helpful? 
Um, I think for me, it was rooting myself uh, first. And mm -hmm. I think when, when a lot of black women of all ages approach that question of, do I wear my hair natural or not? The first thing that we think of is how will it be received, which is kind of sad because yes. um, first of all, it's about our health. A lot of times the things yeah. that we do to our hair, chemicals or heat is not good for us. Um, and and it's our preference and we should be able to to feel our best. And so I think it was growing into the knowledge that I couldn't really show up as my best anywhere if I didn't feel like I was representing myself and what I wanted to be. So whether that's I want to chop my hair off or <clears throat> I want to wear no makeup or I want to wear makeup or I want to dress this way. Um, those things are a part of my identity and I only really want to be in spaces where I can exist in whole, like whole form. So I think if we, if we start there and rooting ourselves that way, um, then we kind of go into those conversations feeling a little bit more empowered instead of feeling like we have to defend our decisions. Um, there's no reason why someone can't have locks at work or an Afro at work or whatever it is. Um, and so we should, you know, just be more confident about that. And it's, it's a lot of inside work that has to happen first. Yeah, there's, there's, gosh, a couple of things that you said there um, with, you know, first, first of all, allowing us to exist in whole form, who we are, let us bring our whole selves, you know, to the workplace, you're going to get um, better results when you allow people to come in their whole form. Um, and that to me is a reflection of psychological safety. How safe is the environment um, for someone to be allowed to be 100% who they are? Um, in the past, um, Kareen um, would not have been able to, first of all, wear her Afro at the White House as press secretary. Um, is that, I don't remember if that's her exact title, um, deputy press secretary. Secretary, um, And then second, her sexuality would not have really been welcomed. I shouldn't say really, it would not have been welcomed, um, you know, just 20 years earlier. Um, so really being able to come with your whole self, I think mm -hmm. was a huge point you know, that you made there. Yeah. The other piece that you said that I, I just have to bring to the light um, is that we shouldn't have to defend our choices um, when it comes to our, you know, health and wellness and, and how we present ourselves. Um, um, and I mean, that's huge. Um, but that is something that just in, in terms of coming as we are, but having to defend what we do and why we do it, in fact, have to pass laws that protect us from you know, scrutiny um, when it comes to wearing our hair naturally. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting and it, and it speaks to um, kind of the challenge of the journey that we have sometimes. Yeah, I had, I had a lot of trouble with that. And I think that what moved my hand in a more determined direction was motherhood, honestly, just having an unmoving, not obstacle, but I had to be an advocate for myself then there wasn't an option. I couldn't, you know, change my hair, change my, you know, whatever to make motherhood fit into work. Um, so I started being a lot more rigid about my time and my um, expectations and just how I was able to show up at work when it came to that phase of my life, because, you know, kids are there and you, <laughs> you have to accept the whole person and family that they come with. Um, and, yeah. Well, so I want to get to the to the scholarship piece. Um, you had, it, you know, 
kind of relaunched this um, scholarship. Can you tell me about that process and how it, how it came about? Um, it was a conversation again when, that I had uh, when I was first in talks about the role and it came up um, that there was this desire to be helpful mm-hmm. um, and wanting to like, how can we be um, an aid to this issue in tech um, when you're talking about you know, really low percentages of people of color in tech, women in tech are like one in four. I think um, Black and Latinx people are about five or 6% of the industry. It's really, really low, um, even lower for indigenous and native folks, lower for LGBTQIA people who are not, uh, who are openly, um, you know, queer. So the, the obstacle, you know, as a startup and kind of a new company, the obstacle um, that was accessible was providing some monetary support. And so um, it's not a huge difficult thing to do to provide some type of support to students. Um, So they submit like an essay, they tell us a little bit about what they wanna do in tech. Um, That was a really great process. We got to know these students, uh, incredibly bright students that are really thinking about the future of our communities. Um, The three young ladies that did get the award, our our last um, iteration, brilliant. Um, They were talking about how to use, you know, VR creatively and like to to, um, protect people in the community and work with, um, you know, law enforcement so that they can be more careful with people. Um, And so I think what to me, what stands out about this is that when we allow everybody to have a voice in tech, tech is really running our world at this point. Um, we're really talking about a much bigger conversation, which is um, how can we possibly have an industry like tech that impacts literally every one of us and it's being created and innovated by people who are, um, that don't look like us. It doesn't, it shows up in the code, it shows up in the algorithms, it shows up in, you know, facial recognition and these things matter on a really real level. So um, any way to create an avenue into that um, I think it's the responsibility of every tech company to do that. Absolutely. Um, and you're right. I mean, it, it does show up in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I recall a story that I heard recently where, um, you know, the, the aggregation of certain words, you know, coming together um, serves to discriminate against, um, you know, black people. And I can't remember the exact story, but these are the things that um, get missed or, in some cases are, are done intentionally um, when, when we're not present. So I, I hear you um, when you talk about the importance of this. You, you spoke to um, one of the topics that um, was brought up and that was using VR creatively, VR being virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So how, okay, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> um, okay, but it looks like we have to go to a break, but I, I would love to hear some of the, and I don't know if these are private ideas or, you know, but just kind of what, what, what's, What's cooking up in the brains of young people um, that that we might want to hear about? So we're going to talk about that when we come back. Um, Everybody stay with us. Today we are talking about the color code and we are looking at Black women in tech. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And uh, today we are talking about the color code. We're looking at um, Black women in tech. And um, right now I'm joined by Ashley Simpo, and um, 
She is currently um, the managing editor and content leader at Vertistant, and she also is um, leading a scholarship um, to get more people of color or underrepresented populations into tech. And so one of the last things you mentioned um, right before the break, Ashley, was um, just kind of some of the, well, I kind of mentioned this last, but, <laughs> but just some of the interesting things that the um, the, the, the young people have in mind um, who are applying for the scholarships. Um, and you mentioned virtual reality. That was intriguing for me um, and just some of the creative ways to use that. And I'd love to kind of just hear some of the creative ideas that are coming out of our young people. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the students had um, uh, part of their essay, they discussed using um, actually augmented reality, which takes things a bit further. It is essentially the technology that sort of merges re, um, reality with tech. So if you think of like the Google goggles, so you can see, uh, it's very futuristic. We see this in movies a lot where you kind of have a view, but you see a lot of data happening on the sides. Um, and so her idea was to create this technology that could support law enforcement so that they could get a real, real time view of someone's criminal record while they're con oh. having a conversation with them. Um, wow. And you know, when you think about in terms of police officers who um, are wanting to do their jobs properly and who need to be aware of uh, the bias that they have um, and the assumptions that they make, which can be deadly at times. Um, so them knowing right away that the person that they're talking to is not the right person or is the you know the wrong person um, could save lives. And I thought that was a really innovative way, a thoughtful way of considering our community and what changes could happen immediately while we wait for bigger changes to happen. Um, in the virtual reality space, we had um, recently talked to a company called Hope for Haiti that's using virtual reality to expand awareness about Haiti. Um, and a lot of the fears that society has around um, Haiti, just because it's such an unknown place for most people, and really introducing them to the people of Haiti so that they could attract donors in support of Haiti and the initiatives that are happening there um, and encourage tourism there as well so that people can start to visit this beautiful country. Um, so those are the things that have come up recently that I think people are just really creative about how to use this technology, especially if they have awareness about the world and what's going on. I absolutely love it. And this is, again, indicative of why we definitely need to integrate different perspectives and backgrounds in, um, you know, in, in all industries. Um, but the tech world, and one of the reasons why we're focusing on tech today uh, is because it's largely, um, you know, un underrepresented when we talk about women and we talk about people of color. Um, right now, um, you know, I think... Um, Forbes just put out an article about the top eight influential tech leaders, and they are all white men. Um, right now we have Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, um, Paul Allen, um, just to name a few. And, you know, we are largely um, underrepresented in this space. So this is why this topic is so important. This is why scholarships and initiatives that really um, encourage us to be a part of this space is so important. Just the ideas, the two ideas you pointed out alone um, really speak to that. So, um, yeah, it's I, I really I want to pivot a little bit um, to talk about um, your book. So I and what and what's interesting is that behind the 
color of somebody's skin, behind the gender, behind all of those things that we see um, is a life experience and a life journey that they bring with them. Um, and so your particular book is is a children's book um, looking at divorce. And, um, and it's part of a series. Um, yes, a kid's book about divorce. And, you know, the thing is, um, many of us um, either are have experienced divorce ourselves or have had parents that experienced divorce and we bring that experience into the workplace um and so when you talk about that whole idea of existing in your whole form this is part of the whole form <laughs> but i would love to hear you talk a little bit about this book and what the goal is of this book um this book uh came about very naturally for me um was my son went away for the summer to visit family. When I came to pick him up, he had a bunch of new questions about me and my ex-husband's divorce um, because he was with my sister who has kind of the the husband, wife, kids, sort of traditional family structure. And it was the first time at that age that he had kind of had these abrupt sort of questions in, in mind. And so I found myself lacking the right words, which is rare for me because I talk a lot, but... <laughs> um, and I just couldn't figure out like how's the best way to explain this. And my question was really more so like, what can he handle? And so um, I started looking for resources and I couldn't really find anything that fit our family exactly. Um, and came across this company called The Kids Book About. And it was very new at the time. They had a few books out um, and they were all dedicated towards really hard topics for kids. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I went looking on their website and didn't see anything about divorce. So I just sent them a message and I said, hey, is this a topic you plan on covering? Um, I'm a writer. So I'm always pitching myself, first of all. So I'm like, I'm a writer if you guys <laughs> need help. Or not. Um, and the, the founder of the company, who was a black dad, uh, Jelani Memory, he hit me up. We had a conversation and the book was born. And um, both of us are products of divorce. My parents are divorced. Um, his parents are divorced and are divorced ourselves. So it was a topic that I, you know, I brought my lived experience into. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the conversation of divorce is so hush-hush. People really don't want to talk about it. It's, it's just as common as marriage. Um, and, and it's not a bad word. And I don't think that, and I think that it's as, as much as we want, if we normalize it, we're normalizing a lot of other things like taking care of yourself, mental health and relationships, yes. um, peace at home, co-parenting, things like that, that really, really matter to children. And it's, it's, you know, um, it's our responsibility to talk, to talk about these things and to prepare them for life. And I learned that, um, I'm so sorry. Um, I learned that uh, most importantly, kids can handle it. They can handle these tough conversations um, about divorce, about whatever it is. They have a book on suicide. They have a book on anxiety. Um, it's just fascinating, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I kind of jotted down some of the interesting, um, the ones that jumped out at me. Um, empathy, attitude, money, gratitude, mm -hmm. depression, um, mm -hmm. racism, feminism, um, I thought this is great. Um, and especially in light of a society that wants to stifle these really important conversations, especially about um, quote unquote controversial issues, sexuality, race, um, oppression. Um, and I know that the oppression wasn't one of the books, but when you're talking about racism, <laughs> it's in there. Um, yes. And, but with this, this need and this push to stifle 
conversations around critical race theory, for example. Um, and for those of you who are not familiar, um, who, and I'm, term, I'm sure you've heard of it, but just to kind of be clear on what critical race theory actually is, it's really looking at the ways in which racism and oppression have impacted um, people of color in this country, as well as how it's impacted white people in this country um, and, and what that means in terms of power and how people are able to either advance or are blocked from advancing in different um, areas of society. Those conversations need to be had. If I pull tech into this, if we integrate conversations about critical race theory or just race and oppression, which is really what critical race theory is. Um, and we kind of integrate that with technology. What we get are innovative ideas, like what you just talked about, um, finding ways um, to integrate technology into policing so that we have less danger um, when it comes to things like getting pulled over, because now there's forms of technology that creatively address that. So having these important conversations, um, whether it's divorce or race or, you know, what it, these are all elements of life that we are living um, that need solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that these are conversations that should start at a young age. And I don't I, I think that having the conversation, uh, it should be a, a lifelong conversation of how are we being inclusive? How, uh, what is the value to all communities for this, not just one? Um, and those kinds of questions will be asked by people who are informed. Um, and I really want to see, which I'm beginning to see, honestly, I have so much hope in this, this little generation that's, that's growing up right now. They are so smart and curious. Um, they have so many ideas and, um, and they're being fed information that they need to know. They are having these conversations at home. And I think in schools, um, at my son's school, they have conversations about race, um, and so I feel confident, um, not naive, I hope, but confident <laughs> that, that these kids are gonna grow up and, and we're gonna see significant changes happen in the world. I'm with them. you on that 100% in terms of um, being confident that, that we are in the, we're kind of at the, um, you know, the curve of, of seeing some real change happening. Um, I do agree with you that it, I believe a lot of it started with them being born with a black president in office. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's major. And I think one of the reasons why we're seeing so much panic, while we're seeing voter suppression, while we're seeing, let's not talk about race in schools is because it is becoming really obvious that we are turning the curve and that's scary for people who are in power. And so- right. I, you know, sorry, but not sorry. Um, <laughs> it's here. <laughs> we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and uh, joined by Ashley Simpo. I'm really to have this conversation about um, technology and our role in technology and just kind of um, the ways in which, you know, what we really bring to the table um, with technology. So I really appreciate this conversation. Um, um, Ashley, I just would love to know um, if, if there's things that, because you're also a freelance writer, um, you write essays on motherhood, community, and creative ambition. Um, what, Where can we follow the work that you're doing um, with regards to writing? Um, I am, am on social media. I share all my stuff there most of the time. So on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Ashley Simple. Um, you can also go to my website, which is blackashley.com, and I have some of my favorite essays that I've written there and just 
some of the work that I've done um, on my website. So, okay, great. I, am. I love it. So, okay, uh, this is kind of a, you know, out of the blue question, but I'm curious to know what your favorite latest essay is about and um, what, you know, what is it and, and what is it about? That I yes. written? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I know it's an off the cuff question. <laughs> I think, well, this isn't late. Well, I, I talk about this a lot, but since you okay. asked the question, um, a conversation that I think is really important is um, uh, how community supports motherhood, especially single mothers. Mm. So I, I wrote an article for a platform called Modern Mia, which is for mothers and uh, the community of mothers. Um, and it was about this idea about single mothers and sort of the the stereotypes around that identity um, and the way that a lot of issues in society are blamed on just single motherhood. Yeah. Um, whereas we actually live in a society that doesn't support different forms of families. And that's the truest issue that we really are facing is mm -hmm. not that single mothers exist, but why they can't thrive. So, um, that was something that I, I have a conversation a lot because I feel like once you're a mother, you're kind of like put in that category. And um, there's not as many positive conversations between mothers and non-mothers about just life and community. And so I always want to bridge that gap as much as possible because I feel like we all kind of need each other. So um, tearing down that stereotype, I think, is one way to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I would also, I guess there's, there's a lot with, um, because many women are waiting longer to have children and yeah. there's a lot of scrutiny, you know, around that, um, women choosing not to have children even, mm -hmm. um, but I guess the face of motherhood, what I'm trying to say, um, is really, is changing, yeah. has changed, uh, quite a bit. So I, I, I really appreciate that approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the pressure that we put on women to identify a certain way with motherhood is really ridiculous. And I think, um, you know, once you're there and you're in the role, um, it's a lifelong journey. So it's not one that you should enter under the pressure of society or under any anybody else, honestly. Um, and so I, I think that there were a lot of conversations I didn't have before I became a mom. Mm -hmm. that I want to facilitate so that we are all, especially black women who may be bringing in some, you know, generational trauma or certain things that they grew up seeing um, is really knowing what you're about to experience and, and supporting new mothers, especially, but also mothers of all ages, literally every stage of motherhood, it has its own challenge. So um, I love that. You just have to be more supportive. Yeah, you know, and I, I know we're, you know, in the last few seconds of the show, but I, I do just have to throw this out there that one of the biggest things I learned about um, single motherhood is the, the power of partnerships, um, of um, even rooming together, you know, cohabiting together with another mother and another child, depending on whether or not there's a financial need and, and the ways in which mothers can help each other. I know that helped mm -hmm. me tremendously on my journey to where I am today. Um, yes. So we could do a yes. whole show on this. Uh, I wrote an article about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Well, we'll have to bring you back if you're interested. Absolutely. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us today. And just one more time, if you can give that Instagram uh, so people can connect with you. Yeah. On Instagram and Twitter, Ashley Simpo and blackashley.com on the web. 
Got it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insight, your experience. Um, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I've totally enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, And everyone, we will be right back on the second hour to uh, talk to Darby, um, who is also um, a trailblazer and she's an entrepreneur. So we will be right back on the live exchange. Good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the live exchange where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. I'm Dr. Pamela and on today's show, we've been exploring the opportunities for women and technology and black women in particular. Excellent conversation. First hour with Ashley Simpo um, and really looking at scholarship um, opportunities that she has um, really kind of opened up through her work with her own um, the company that she works for and just, um, and, and, you know, really exploring some of these amazing ideas that are coming um, out of our young people and the next generation coming up. Um, so in the next hour of the show, I will be exploring some of the roadblocks to um, our represent, you know, to representation of ourselves um, in tech, but also looking at some aspects of, um, you know, credit and loans and how to really even acquire our own um, as we advance in this field. So I'm really excited because this is um, some information that we are all going to need from a practical standpoint. Uh, We'll be joined by Darby in the second hour. So stay with us and we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and um, today we are talking about Black women in technology, and um, just really, um, I'm really excited about this hour because um, we're going to be diving a little bit more into finances and um, all that wonderful stuff that that you know sometimes we try to avoid uh, or gloss over when we really need to be focused on that stuff. So let me introduce our second guest, uh, Darby. Um, an unforgettable name for a unique woman is a trailblazing entrepreneur. As a millennial, she is wise beyond her years and is faith and family centered with the gift of entrepreneurship. Uh, Darby's faith and consistency and willingness to empower others with knowledge has organically worked in her favor all of her life. She graduated with the highest honors from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, with a bachelor's in finance and international business. However, her real life education came from her uber successful mentors. Over the years, Darby has been an influential, um, has been influential in the network marketing, tax technology, and music industry, earning multiple figures despite some losses <clears throat> excuse me, along the way. Her latest venture is a perfect combination of her formal education and mentorship over the years. Okay, I'm back. (laughs) Had a little um, issue here in my throat. Um, Okay, where was I? (laughs) The first uh, BCA culture. The first ever automated automated turnkey software that guides entrepreneurs seeking to build business credit, secure funding, and contracts at the click of a button. Darby has a passion to transform lives through entrepreneurship empowerment. She also supports in um, various charities, nonprofit orgs, and for-profit companies to help the visionaries behind these organizations transform their lives and build generational wealth. So we're going to go to a break so I can get my voice back. And when we come back, we're going to bring Darby on. 
<laughs> we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. I think I'm okay now. I think I'm okay now. <laughs> um, gotta love when you're on air and your group decides to go crazy on you. But welcome, Darby. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Are you okay? <laughs> I think I'm okay. If not, I'm gonna point to you and you just talk. <laughs> I have no problem with doing that. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes, it's so good to have you. Um, and your bio had a lot and said a lot. And I really want to first start with the um, the technology angle in which you talk about BCA culture. Um, can you describe that and talk to us a bit about that? That's actually where I started choking. So if anybody heard any of that, they might have not. They might have missed something. Yeah, absolutely. So like um, BCA Culture is our online platform. Uh, we are classified like as a fintech company, which is a financial and technology coming together. And literally, um, we show business owners or teach business owners through our software. We're actually guiding business owners through our software, um, how to um, set up the, the right steps to building your business, to uh, forming your business. So that way it can transform into a legacy company um, and, and actually into an asset. So we prepare through the software uh, companies on setting up their business properly so they can be positioned um, to receive funding, so you can be positioned to build business credit, um, so you can be positioned uh, for grants and contract opportunities. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So it sounds almost like a um, like a technical coach. Um, I mean, how does this look from the standpoint of, so I'm a business owner. Mm -hmm. If I were to pull up this technology, what kinds of things would I see that would help my business? So uh, one of the first things that you would see when you're going through our software is one of the very, very first things that you'll see when you're going through our software is the ability to, uh, we call it a BCA score. It's one to see where you are and to analyze where you are in your business. And then you will see a section where you would list your goals. And then from there, we will take where you are realistically to where you want to go. And then where BCA culture is that bridge to um, assist you into getting to your goals. So some business owners, um, your goal might be to obtain a business line of credit. Another business owner's goal might be to, you know, obtain some type of um, funding uh, from maybe a bank, a traditional lender or a non-traditional lender. So just knowing your goals, uh, we will take that and then our software guides you step by step on the action steps that you need to do so you can achieve those goals. Got it. Okay, that makes total sense. I love that. Um, and is there any kind of real time or I should say human element to this or is it really, is it fully automated? Yeah, so definitely um, it is definitely, uh, it, it's a combination of both. Okay. Our software is like high touch. So what I mean by that is the software will tell you the steps. Um, if, if there's an area where you might not be sure, um, let's say, for instance, uh, one of our steps is get your business listed online. Uh, right. like people might not know, okay, where do you go to get your business listed? So our software has the websites, has the companies that you can go to to get your business listed, right? However, right. you have to do, you know, you have to take the action steps to get your company listed, but we will give you the information on exactly where to 
go, who to go to. So it eliminates the guesswork and you're not wasting time. Like when you're first getting started out in business or even if you're already established in business, you're not wasting time trying to figure out, okay, how can I be positioned one to attract more customers and two to get access to more funding? Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Okay. And then what does, if this is obvious, forgive me for asking, but what does BCA stand for? You know, <laughs> so that is like a very common question. Originally, um, when, when it was just me, uh, I used to do classes. Um, it was the summer of 2019 and uh, started doing uh, classes for entrepreneurs. At the time, our company was called uh, the Business Credit Agency. So that was BCA. Um, so that that's where it comes from, is from Business Credit Agency. However, uh, once um, I connected with Adam, he's uh, my business partner, and um, he's the software developer. He's the, the, the brains behind our software, actually. And um, once we connected, I was like, yo, I would love to take what we've already started and, and really develop a culture. So that's when we came about the name BCA Culture. And it's, it's really to establish a culture of entrepreneurs who work together. We share resources, we share knowledge, and we share wisdom in our culture that can really advance everyone as a whole. Oh, that's so great. Um, <laughs> and and just, especially with today being such the perfect era to dive into entrepreneurship. Um, I know that when I was going through college and so forth, I graduated college in 2000, and all of this stuff was really just so new. You know, social media wasn't even a really not really a thing, <laughs> um, you know, in 2000. It wasn't until 2004 that Facebook started to exist. And then we now have things like PayPal and, and, and many other ways of, you know, collecting money. I just threw that out there as an example of Zoom. Of, so now we can do business and have meetings across the world with people. This is like the best time ever to be an entrepreneur and, and to start businesses. Are you finding that people are really struggling with taking that leap or are people just going all in with it? You know, from my experience and what we've noticed as a team is that people are going for it. I mean, yeah. well, there might be like some level of fear for some entrepreneurs in the sense of some entrepreneurs might be unsure about the exact steps, but they are definitely sure that more and more people now want freedom. And that freedom yeah. looks different to everyone, but at the core of it, it's entrepreneurship. You know, someone might say, hey, I, I, have, I make more money, you know, uh, selling purses. I make more money selling bags. I make more money baking cakes. You know, I make more money uh, working for myself or, or, or being a gig economy worker than I would if I was just sitting at a nine to five job. And so more and more people are just inspired, um, especially now with like, like you're saying, the social media culture, you know, we can literally do everything from our phone. I mean, people yeah. are using the internet and our phones to really go to the next level. So I think mm -hmm. that more people now are excited about entrepreneurship. However, with that, though, I'm noticing that because we have a lot of people that are, um, you know, just jumping into entrepreneurship, there are a lot of foundational things that if we had more mentors that yeah. could really guide entrepreneurs, that the entrepreneurs would not just um, see like quick results, but they'll have sustainable business. Mm. And that's the only difference. You know, I was really mentored and um, I still have, you know, mentors and coaches around me. However, I'm noticing that some people are just jumping on the entrepreneur bandwagon, bandwagon, you know, taking what they're getting from, you know, free uh, websites. Um, and they're just, 
looking at the information and, and trying to piecemeal it together or they're going to this free webinar, going here, going there to try to get as much information as they can. And it really, to be a true entrepreneur, I mean, you really want to have a coach and a mentor and you've got to make an investment into yourself. There's really no way around it. And yeah. also you have to work. So, you know, those are the pros and cons of people just jumping in. They might have limited knowledge, but the big thing is that, you know, they're jumping in and they're getting started. Right. Right. Well, you know, and, and I'm seeing so much, I guess, um, diving into entrepreneurship. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, back in the day, mm -hmm. so weird to say that when I was going to school, <laughs> um, the promise was, you know, you go to college, you get a good job, you start your life, you know, and the good job was like $40,000, you know, and that was the big dream. You know, you go to school, get this amazing $40,000 job, especially my engineering friends. They all got their $40,000 jobs. I started at 30 because I was a writer. But that was the big dream. And now it's, it's just kind of a different career trajectory these days. Um, and I'm wondering, is there a major or a benefit to going, well, I believe there's a benefit in going through college, but I'm wondering, is there a certain focus or major that people really need, you know, can benefit from should they decide they want to go into entrepreneurship? You know what? That is a really, really good question. So I honestly believe like, cause our world has changed. Mm -hmm. I think that I am not against college because I, you know, I graduated, um, I graduated top of my class with honors. Yeah. So I honor, you know, formal education. However, statistics has been proven. Even majority of people do not are not currently working in their careers that they went to school to study for. Right. Unless it's more of the medical profession. Right. Um, but like 90 percent, it's like a staggering number of college graduates are not even working full time in their degree. Right. And so because the world has changed so much, one, I think it's important to know who you are and what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, without all the noise of college or no college. Then from yeah. there, you can decide, okay, listen, do I really need to go to college to learn this? Or can I possibly go to trade school? Or could I possibly learn this skill set from a coach or a mentor who is successful in doing this? And then I can create my niche, you know, mm -hmm. but I will say that, you know, there has to be some type of um, education, whether that's through a coach yeah. or, or through college or through um, a trade school or, you know, taking an online course, you have to be stretched mentally. And, yeah. and a lot of times that's been the way that we've been taught. But like, if you look at college, really, Dr. Pamela, and it's not to be disrespectful um, towards colleges, but colleges and universities really need to catch up with the times. really have to catch up with where our generation is, where your generation is, you know, we're progressive and we're progressing extremely fast. Yes. Especially with artificial intelligence, especially with software development and technology. And so just seeing that, I mean, even a traditional job as cashiers and we're seeing it in our everyday life, I mean, it is changing, it's transforming. Those jobs that don't necessarily require a degree, but maybe um, physical labor are being replaced by artificial intelligence. Yeah. So we have to really, you know, take all of that in consideration and think about 
you know, when we're thinking about our career paths or our, 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 our excuse me, or our um, passions or any business ideas, mm-hmm. we really have to be progressive. I agree 100%. I, I am a huge advocate for education, but the education doesn't have to look like what somebody says it has to look like for you, you know? Um, and so that education can be in the form of um, a college degree. But if you do go in that direction, how do you find the college and the degree program that actually matches, like you said, who you want to be? Because that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the traditional you know, uh, formal university that's down the street from you, it might mean that it is this uh, university in Canada that, you know, there's this university, by the way, in Canada, it's called Quest University. They have a totally different educational model where, you know, where you spend all your time, like, sitting in pods with five or six other people and you all create stuff. It's amazing, you know, and so it's, find the model you know, that works for you to get you to where you want to go. Um, and you're right. Everybody is not working in the field that they majored in. I majored as I uh, was a journalism major. Mm-hmm. I do have a show right now, but. And I do still write, but, but I, I had aspirations to be a TV anchor. Um, journalism major. My master's degree was in college student affairs. So I wanted to work. And I did do that for a while. Um, For about 10 years, I worked in student affairs, student events on campus and that kind of thing. And then this last, the PhD is in leadership. What's amazing for me and my experience is that I've been able to use the, the degrees have infiltrated every area of my life. And when I go into, when I look at my business that I have, I use every single piece of every degree <laughs> um, in in my business um, because their skill sets in journalism. I had to learn graphic design, so when I started the business, I had to be my own graphic designer. You know, um, in student affairs, I had to learn about human development and mindsets and all of that. I definitely got to use that managing people. You know, so so I think I got really lucky, but. People now, I think, can curate their own path by being very strategic about how they go about their education. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So so we have to go to a break. Um, Gosh, I was really ready to dive into that one. So we're going to go to a break. (laughs) When we come back, we'll continue the conversation uh, and stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And uh, right now I'm joined by Darby. Um, and she is a trailblazing entrepreneur who um, is, is um, really kind of one of the, I guess, uh, innovators um, with her partner, um, her business partner on BCA Culture, which is um, an automated turnkey software that guides entrepreneurs seeking to build business credit. Uh, we were just talking about from an entrepreneurial standpoint, do you got to go to college? And it sounds like between both of our answers, it sounds like you need to be strategic and do what makes sense to you. Um, if you do go to college, um, make sure it's not going to college just to go to college. Make sure it's going to college um, to find the fit that matches who you are um, and and really who you would like to evolve into. Uh, I don't know. Is that, Do you think that sums up what we said? <laughs> Is Darby there? I'm sorry. And my mic was on mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I was saying, I absolutely agree. I, I, 
the key word that you said was strategy and it triggered another word that I thought of, which is um, purpose, you know, being intentional about your purpose because until, until a person knows that, then it's kind of like you can bounce around from college and job to job or mentor to mentor. But first you have to know your purpose. So anyone that's listening, you know, just be intentional about your purpose. And then from there, um, I definitely agree. Strategy is so key. And it's what is going to allow you to not only survive during this time, but thrive because our world has changed. I mean, it's changed drastically. We're living in a gig economy, creative entrepreneur society, I mean, you can literally set up a business today, be profitable next week, you know, so it's so much that you can do and just be encouraged on your journey. That's so good. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, um, that also comes to mind is Michelle Obama's book becoming, um, and one of the questions that she always hates that adults ask young people, um, whether they're children, um, whether the young person is just young in college and, and, or just fresh out, what do you want to be? Yeah. And her her whole point was we're always becoming. Every phase of our life is a process of becoming. Um, And my daughter hates that question too. She's 14 and she is, you know, people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, her thing is, Oh, a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she has talked about dentistry. And then the latest thing she said, well, the only thing that concerns me is if I go to pre-dental school, um, does that mean that's the only thing I can do? Is that the only track? I mean, what if I decide I want to be an artist or a dancer later? Does that mean the dentistry degree just goes down the drain? And I'm like, good point. That's a very good point. I'm actually glad you brought that up. So my journey was, I know like now I'm, you know, polished and we know, you know, I know my purpose and things in life. But when I was in college, I was I was going to University of Tennessee in Knoxville before college, the summer before I was actually on track to become an anesthesiologist. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, completely separate. And then also I have a passion for singing and songwriting. So I was also in this recording studio singing songs and songwriting and actually uh, looking at a record deal here in Atlanta. Um, And I turned down two. you know, I was going through artist development. So we are so many things at one time. I still have the gift of music, right? I still have, you know, the gift of, of you know, wanting to serve others in the medical profession. But then as I evolved, I changed my major to, uh, to uh, nursing. I got approved and accepted into the nursing program at University of Tennessee, which is really one of the top programs in the country. And wow. then that summer, I kid you not, Dr. Pamela, that summer, I was like, you know what? do I really want to do nursing or do I want to set up clinics, you know, for, for nurses or do I want to do the business side of things? Wow. I started talking to my parents and my dad was like, you know, knowing you is the first (laughs) sign of, you know, any type of trauma, you're going to be freaking out. And, you know, he just made it really real for me. It was like, really think, do you want to be in the rooms? caring for patients or do you want to be on the business side of things yeah then my mom was like well maybe you could consider you know nursing administration that's more the business side and then i was like well wow if i only do nursing (laughs) will that be the only thing that i know and that's when i began to change my major to um business finance international business and at the time just really interesting and really quick when i was looking 
we had this uh, book. University of Tennessee has this book and it breaks down all of the majors. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do business administration. And I was like, okay, what's going to be my concentration? I started reading all of the different ones. I'm like, well, no to logistics, no to this, no to this. And I was like, no, finance, what is this? And I just started diving into that. And, you know, and I prayed about it and just, you know, my steps were ordered, but it takes a process, you know, it yeah. takes, you got to constantly be extracting. And even now, okay, we're doing BCA culture. Now we're evolving into, you know, something, something additional. We're evolving into something more um, just as a company and as a team. So it's like, we're always becoming, and I love that. Like, you know, it's beautiful that your daughter's thinking, well, shoot, if I do this one degree, will it box me or will it allow me to be free? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big question is it because the way you said education needs to evolve, it needs to catch up. And the way education is structured right now in many of the traditional universities is you take this track and, and you're done, but you know, maybe there needs to be more of a multidisciplinary approach. Like right now, you know, you can do liberal arts education and learn about a lot of things, but perhaps that needs to be um, also from a business standpoint, because whatever you major in, can also be a business. I majored in journalism, but I could have graduated and said, I want to start my own media company. Um, but all I know is now, because my degree only taught me to write and design, <laughs> I don't know the, you know, so I had to, the business stuff that I learned, none of it was from college. The finances mm -hmm. that I learned, the, the business structure, uh, the business culture, none of that stuff came from college. Um, and, and it would have been really cool if it did. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, I think you're right. Education needs to catch up. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's, you just said something that was, it's really distinctive that when we're in college, we're taught to work for someone else. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. in business schools, Harvard, that teach you business ownership. Yeah, you know, our Wharton School of Business, like there's certain like business schools, but the reality of it is that most, you know, many Americans are going to, you know, colleges and universities that offer multiple, um, you know, uh, degrees, multiple areas of uh, study, and we're not necessarily being taught how to own our business. We're being taught how to write resumes so we can get a job. Yes. We're being taught how to get our master's degree so we can be top talent. We're being cultured to be the best pick me, you know? Yes. yes. Like you said, that right there, what you said was everything. And I began to realize that it was about my, my sophomore year in college when um, they were like, okay, you know, when you go to events, make sure you don't drink too many times. Don't embarrass yourself <laughs> at a networking event, you know, um, with your job. Um, to make sure that, you know, you carry one thing in your hand and have your plate in the other. Or, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with nerves, I'm like, wow. There, I mean, I'm sitting in my class and I'm thinking to myself, wow. I'm learning business etiquette on how to network at business events, um, how to write a resume. And I'm like, I'm really being groomed to work for corporate America um, at the time. And that's what made me really begin to say, you know what, I'm going to absorb this knowledge, but I know that I'm going to have to have a mentor outside of this that's going to really show me real life how to build a business. That's brilliant um, because that was the first thing that went through my mind when you said, you know, colleges prepare us to work for somebody. That's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. However, you've got to know that and go into college knowing that 
and then be prepared to acquire the other information again strategically and actively. So are there courses you can take that teach entrepreneurship? Are there mentors that you can connect with? And so, yes, learn all about how to work for somebody else because somebody's going to have to work for you and it's good to learn that information anyway. Um, And so I don't think that's a bad thing, but you need to go in there knowing that. And I think that's one of the things I know for sure I never thought much about was the fact that I'm going there to learn how to work for somebody else. It never occurred to me that at some point I'm going to need to learn how to build and create my own business from the ground up. Um, and, and, and when it came and when it happened and I had to figure it out, I was ready to go. I, I have to, I, like I said, my education did prepare me to at least have the mindset to strategize and create. Um, but I, I think I would have been even better off had I gone in knowing that and created something that would enable me to kind of have both sets of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, those are some really awesome and great points. And I think that now, okay, you know, we're in the YouTube, we're in the Instagram, yes. you know, all this information is like available at the click of a button. Right. So now you, we can literally go on Google and type in how to start a business. Um, yep. when, you know, character, we can do a lot of personal development now online. Um, we can listen to things on YouTube that can take us to the next level. And, you know, that's one of the things that we really talk about at BCA Culture, which is do your research and always be growing, always be growing and be at the forefront of your industry. You know, like no one's getting ready to come down the pipe because there is always this thing that we call the replacement factor. There's always something that's coming up that's getting ready to replace you. Yep. So you just have to think like that, whether you're working your job, whether you're working your business, um, when you're building relationships with people, how can you always just add value? I think at the end of the day, we all want to add value. We want to attend colleges and universities that add value. We want to have relationships, whether that's personal or business, that add value. We want to live lives that are adding value. So just at the end of the day, let's just always just be thinking, how can we add value? And then how can the people around us, because that's important too, because learning out an entrepreneurship is real. I know, I know we're talking about the education of it, but it's really real. So, yeah, you know, just, I love it. Those connections you talked about are key. And that's another piece of deciding what educational institution you want to be a part of. I will say that I recently connected with an educational institution, Harvard University, and I, the connections, I, thank you. The connections I have made through just joining an institute with them has been absolutely life-changing. And I can't even announce what it is yet, but <laughs> know that you're the first, among the first shows that I've had since this big thing that has happened that is, is going to probably create some, not probably, that will create some global opportunities. Oh. And so it's major. And so the thing is, use every bit of what you can get out of those educational institutions. Um, so is does, does the degree matter? The degree matters if you know how to work it. That's it. You need to know how to work it. You gotta work um, it like you work your dress. You gotta work <laughs> it. <laughs> go to school and be passive and get that degree. You need to know how to work it. So, um, okay, we gotta go to break. So, uh, <laughs> we'll be right back on the live stream. All right, we're 
Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I'm joined by Darby. Um, Darby, one name. Can you give us an explanation about your name? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, most um, in my profession, you know, I think it's I think it's the entertainment side of me as well because I'm just creative. However, yeah. I realize that most people just know me as Darby. You know, just simply. Okay. Say, no last name. Most people are like, hey, Darby, hey, Darby, hey, Darby. And it's just, that's my real name. That's my real God-given name. That's how, you know, my name is spelled. And yeah. that's, it just encompasses me. Just that one word, um, Darby. And so um, it's funny because I was like, you know, should I go by first and last name? Like, you know, how should I uh, present myself to the public? And it was just like, you know what? Darby. That's just, that's really who I am. And um, it's just simple. And people remember my name, Darby. I mean, they remember when it's, you know, when it's the full name, but it's just Darby just makes me smile. It makes people who say my name smile. It just works. So that's, I love it. that's why I go by one name. It's not me being bougie. It's not, be, you know, not no. me being like closed off from people. It's just, that's my name. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's one of the things that I've struggled with is my identity. Like, who am I? <laughs> what am I going to call myself? <laughs> that's a real thing. Like, people don't really understand, especially as you evolve, you know, because yeah. when you're an entrepreneur, you begin to serve others. And right. with serving others, um, it does force you to begin to come more to the forefront. And it does force you to have to face fears, whether that's fear of success, fear of failure, um, you know, just things about yourself. Oh, gosh, like as you start getting out in public, do I want this out here about me? You know, people start probing and start wanting and, and start asking questions and start being curious. And so that's another side of entrepreneurship, that service side that requires you to be actually available more to people. So that's right. why I wanted to just say, you know what? I just want my identity to rest in my God given name. And in Darby is just that everything about me is in that name. I love it. That's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> I had to ask, so I, I probably should ask in the beginning. But, um, <laughs> but you do a lot of work with um, funding and financial literacy and so forth. And I'm curious to know, you know, what is one of the biggest misunderstandings that you've seen people go into business with from a financial standpoint? What what do people miss? Are you know the most? You know, um, people want miracles. People <laughs> okay. want miracles, and they think that you know, hey, I, you know, some people are coming. They do not have um, personal credit together, but they want to come on the business side and say, hey, I want a hundred thousand dollars in funding. I have no history of any type of you know records. I don't have any history of my revenue. Um, wow. You know, just they expect something for nothing. Yeah. And that's not how the world works. That's one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, anything with funding, you want to be prepared. And there's only two ways that a person can get funding, Dr. Pamela. You can either get it with your personal credit or you can build up your business credit and achieve it um, under your um, under your business credit. But okay. either way it goes, you still have to have some type of credit, some type of history, some type of documentation that could take you to the next level. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of, I get them a lot. I don't know if this is common, but I get this a lot. Text messages, um, spam calls, email saying, we're going to get you $250,000 uh, tomorrow. And how do you know what's legit and what's not? 
You know, there are a lot of funding companies out. Sorry if you hear my son in the background. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of funding companies um, that are out. And I always say vet them. You know, call, uh, research them, Google them, uh, look at some reviews, um, see what type of funding they're doing. Um, if it's equipment funding, if they're doing factoring, where, you know, are they looking at your invoices and, and giving you a percentage back on any outstanding invoices? Um, do they charge, look at those interest rates. Are they charging super fluids, like extra, you know, high interest rates? Um, is it something that you're willing to afford? Um, is it something that if they're asking for collateral, is it something that you're willing to sacrifice? So yeah. you want to look at the totality of it. And then sometimes you might think, oh, you might think, oh, I need a hundred thousand. But really, when we look at you know your expenses and we look at your growth and where you want to go, you really don't need a hundred thousand. You might only need fifty, right? You know, so just really take inventory of realistically where you're at and what it's going to take you to get to the next level that you can manage. Because the reality of it is, most people. Um, want to be able to have multi-million dollar businesses, but can you manage that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I, <laughs> that's such a good question because, um, and a lot of people like to throw that number around a lot, um, you know, millionaire, multimillionaire business, um, which really, if we look at what the definition of that is, and, and maybe you can clarify that, does that mean that you have a cash flow of million plus or that your your balance is million plus after expenses you know um some people the the correct way to go about it is to look at your cash flow analysis of course look at your you know your profit loss look at look at those things a lot of people um i've seen have a million dollars on paper mm-hmm. right their profitability is extremely low they're probably walking away with you know fifty thousand to sixty thousand dollars you know when it's all said and done and yeah. You know, I would much rather prefer to have a strong cash flow and an extremely profitable business. Yeah. Because especially now with the rate of inflation, um, with the, you know, the dollar value decreasing, and there's so many different um, alternatives out here to currency now. You just want to make sure that you have a strong cash flow business and you also want to have a strong credit history as well so you can get access to, to cash flow. But some people calculate, you know, a multi-million dollar business on net worth or assets or, you know, hey, I own this or my building is this or that. But at the end of the day, cash flow still, you know, still works. (laughs) Make sure that your business um, can have some proof of cash flow and um, you can continue to grow. But I would definitely prefer to have a strong cash flow um, business and you can you can continue to increase your assets. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 and I just think this is important because a lot of this stuff gets thrown around, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I, I, I often just kind of give it the side eye, like you are not a multimillionaire. It's like, stop. But I get it. Um, you know, you know, the presentation is is everything as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talked about early on is just kind of when people are starting their businesses, um, one of the things that you said is that, you know, there's a lot of fundamental things that are missing. Um, and you also said that, you know, sometimes people just go for the quick, quick results as opposed to what's sustainable. And and I'm curious to know what that might look like. So somebody who is trying to dive into their business, um, what does it look like when, like, how can you tell when somebody is going for quick, quick results, versus really kind of doing what's sustainable for the business. You know, that's interesting. Um, 
sometimes you don't see it often. Yeah. You know, sometimes like I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and they say, oh, I want to, you know, have this and I want to do this within 12 months. OK, that's a short term goal. Right. Right. Most people think short term is three to six months. But really, when you're building business, you want to be in that thing for the long haul. You're making a commitment over the next three to five years to wow. really build something that's sustainable. So most people are already starting off with the short term thinking, oh, I need to have this within 12 to 18 months. I need to have this within 24 months. You mm -hmm. know, and the reality of it is it's going to take anywhere from two to three years to really build something that's sustainable, even if your business is profitable within your first week, even if it's profitable within the first a few months, you really want to see your business go through all different types of seasons yes. to really be able to track your sustainability. So to answer your question, sometimes we don't know. Like, you know, when COVID came, no one saw COVID yeah. coming. There were a lot of people who had very profitable businesses prior to COVID. Then when right, COVID right. hit, it's like, what? You know, so, you know, there are some unforeseen circumstances. Maybe your business is located in Florida. You have a food truck. It's doing extremely well. And boom, you get hit by a hurricane. Right. So there's different outside factors. But I will say that if your intention is pure and you are going about it the right way, your business by default will be sustainable. Yeah. But if you're going about it in the sense of where you're saying, OK, I'm just setting this up because it's money involved. There has to be something deeper than that because money comes and goes. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing about money, I think the best thing that we could have done for our company was we have percentages of what goes where. And um, a pretty good percentage goes to kind of the, the savings and taxes and think God, if we had money going to those two places, because when COVID hit and enrollment dipped, we were able to pull from the, that account and then we were able to cover taxes. And so you gotta, we didn't know COVID was coming. Nobody but, knew. <laughs> but it's like, it, we were thinking we're going to use this for bonuses at the end of the year, but you know, it, it worked and it kept us afloat. So yeah, just really good information. Um, we're going to go to uh, our final break and then when we come back, We'd love to hear how to get connected with the work that you're doing. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and I'm joined by Darby. And we are talking um, women in tech um, and people of color in tech and just really um, entrepreneurship, a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to just kind of run by you really quickly before we close out. We had such a robust conversation. I didn't get to bring this point up. Um, and this is just kind of looking at the controversial um, aspect of women being represented in technology and entrepreneurship. And one of the, um, there was an internal memo by a guy named James Demore at Google, and he actually was fired for this. But his argument was that biology is the reason why women are not more prevalent in tech, meaning that we are just not necessarily um, that it's biology causes that it's, you know, kind of back to that argument of being the weaker sex and, and so forth. Um, whereas, you know, there might be some scientific evidence that there's biological sex differences in terms of how we might approach things. Um, there's been some social science researchers that have talked about how women um, approach things from more of a, um, 
a nurturer standpoint or more of um, instead of fight or flight, um, it's there's a researcher who talks about tend, uh, mend and attend to. Um, so there are some differences between men and women, but those differences are not inherently why women are left out, but it's more so that what the status quo has said has made some of these biological differences between men and women unpopular. So the, the fact that women might be a bit more nurturing um, has been seen as not popular in the research, I'm, I'm sorry, in the, in the business realm. Um, but we are shifting, um, I think, to where that is more acceptable. Emotional intelligence is more of an expectation. Um, and so that, you know, what really is keeping women out is more of the discrimination and the social landscape that has caused limitations for women to move up. So that's the overarching, um, you know, article there um, in psychology today. But I'm curious to know what your thoughts are in terms of what you're seeing with entrepreneurship. And I know we only have just like a couple of minutes, but I, I just wanted to get your take on that. You're muted. <laughs> I absolutely. Like, first, I want to say that we as women are brilliant in the First of all, we have been selected to bear humanity within us and to to be able to usher human beings into the world is yeah. phenomenal. That within itself is a genius that we've only been able to carry. And so with that, for anyone that's ever been through childbirth, um, we know how we have to tap in and be limitless to be able to do that. Yes. Um, and even for any woman that has not had that experience um, or maybe might be limited to that experience, the mere fact that our um, sex has been selected to be able to bear that is phenomenal and limitless within itself. So we still all carry that capacity of being limitless. Yeah. When it comes to our mind and our intelligence, studies have shown that women are more dynamic. We can be deep and we can go wide yes. and we can go as high as we want to with our mind. Um, and so with that, I would say that a lot of times um, it's not necessarily um, the fact that a woman cannot do a thing and sometimes our minds have to be exposed to it in order to know that we can do it. Yeah. So if doors and opportunities are limited, if there are meetings beside or, or meetings outside of the meeting that women are not invited to, right? There are boardrooms where there's conversations that women are not in. Yeah. It does limit the ability and the capacity for someone just to be exposed to it mentally. Oh, but yeah. At the core of the question, can we do it? Is it based on our biology? I mean, we bear life, so. So our biology makes <laughs> us even more qualified. Exactly. <laughs> yes, we, I we love it. You into the world, man. So yes. <laughs> you know, we carry that seed. So our ability is limitless. Just like our men, our, our men's abilities, we're limitless. We yeah. as human beings just have to be exposed to it. We have to know that we can do it. Um, if I take a child, two children, they grew up in the same household. One child's exposed to technology, the other child's not. The one that's exposed to technology is definitely gonna be more privy or more inclined or more curious. I, my two-year-old, he's around the house breaking down lamps, right? The lamp that's behind me, he pulls it down, unscrews the light bulbs, takes off the shades, curious, like a little engineer. Yeah. Goes to it. So 
it's all about exposure. We can do anything. We can do anything. I love it. So yes, um, our biology adds to our ability to be able to do it. And the sociology is the thing that makes it more complicated. So we need to get it together. I love it. Okay. Well, of course I would ask you that question at the very end, but the conversation was so robust and we are over our time. So I'm going to have to uh, go ahead and just, can you let everybody know how they can connect with you and then we'll wrap up. Absolutely. Um, feel free You can go to our website, bcaculture.com and that's www.bcaculture.com thank you so much to down here <laughs> and um, you can go there all of our contact information is there on all of our social media handles we're at bca culture and on instagram we are at bca culture live so thank you so much it was an honor to be here thank you so much Oh, it was such an honor to have you. Um, this has been such a great conversation, such important topic covered. And thank you all for tuning in to the live exchange this week, where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. Um, as we close today's show and today's season, as this is the last show of the season, we would like to thank all of our viewers and listeners and an absolute phenomenal guests that we've had today um, and this season um, for just an amazing season. So, Please tune into the live exchange when we return in August. And remember, together we can right the wrongs, we can speak the truth, we can rise above, and we can stand for change. Have an amazing and safe summer. Thank you.